As you turn to Exodus chapter 32, thank you choir for the beauty of the music this morning. Thank you Matthew for the solo. Thank you. It almost timed out perfect for it to end with your picture on the screen. It couldn't have been any better. I don't know who planned that. Thank you Tim for helping us this morning uh, with drums. Thank you all for the work that you put in. Let's read these first eight verses here in Exodus chapter 32 as we look at a nation in need. This is a very familiar story. We'll set up a little background here in a few minutes. But let's begin reading together. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. How many of you remember where they got all this gold from? Where did they get all these gold rings and gold things that they... The Egyptians... The Egyptians, the Egyptians were so glad to see them leave that they gave them all the gold that they had. And now they waste it. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. How many of you realize that God is still working in nations all around the world this morning as we meet together? God is busy at work in nations. I told you not long ago that there are uh, uh, several of our larger Southern Baptist churches that have sent at great risk to the families that they've sent. They have sent missionary families into the nation of Iran in a very clandestine way. And these people have gone there and they have begun to work with churches that have been established in private there in Iran. And there is a great, what we get reports back from these people who have gone into these countries is that there is a great revival that is happening there in the nation of, of Iran. One of the most oppressive regimes in all of the world, one of the most brutal uh, against the, uh, the religion of Christianity in all the world, but there is a great revival happening there. Yesterday in Paris, France, there were one, over 100,000 people who were in the streets marching in peaceful protest for democracy to be allowed to come to the nation of Iran and for the dictators uh, who are there to, to move aside and to allow democracy to, to have its root and its way to come there and the people to be free. I believe that it's tied back to those people, that great revival that is happening there 
in the churches underground in Iran. This morning I have communicated with two pastors in the nation of Nicaragua. I read a, an article last night about the great peril and the great tragedy that has become the nation of Nicaragua. Nicaragua that had become a great tourist destination for wealthy people from America to go to on the southern on the southern side, the Pacific southern side of Nicaragua had become they had begun to prosper and they had begun their economy had begun to grow and they had begun to uh, uh, be, uh, have wealth that they'd never had before. And now all of a sudden there has become protest there in the streets uh, in, in Managua and Chinandega and different places across uh, the nation demanding democracy and demanding that the people be free and demanding that they have uh, total freedom the way that they should and have and deserve. And this morning as I spoke, as I communicated with those pastors through text messages, they told me of how they are taking uh, money that we have sent them and money that other churches have sent them and they're buying uh, food supplies. And it was almost like talking to one of the apostles who uh, writing from the book of Acts as they talk about how they are having to weave their way through the country and take those, those food supplies and how they're having to go through such difficulty to get one of the pastors there, Pastor Felix, who some of you are familiar with, he and his wife are trying to get them from, from their home to the main hospital in Managua and what they're having to go through to get them there. But both pastors this morning said these words to me that they were encouraged by what God is doing in the churches there and how the gospel is being proclaimed even in the midst of these great difficulties. God is moving in nations all around the world. And it reminds me of the early days of America and God's influence in our independence. His faithfulness in the early years of our nation. His guiding the struggling founders and his leading in forming a land of religious liberty. But we think about, we look at this historically, and just some uh, decades before the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4, 1776, there began a great revival, a great awakening that happened in the 1730s that lasted until about 1743. A British evangelist named George Whitfield came, uh, came to the colonies and he started a revival in Georgia. And then he moved up to the north in, in New York, and he worked his way through the colonies. And this revival was different because George Whitfield opened up the scriptures, and he proclaimed the scriptures in a very deep, meaningful way. And he explained the scriptures in ways that they had not been explained to the people before. And the people began to grab hold of the, of the faith of a grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, and great things begin to happen. A lot of historians say that this great awakening played a key role in the development of a dem of democratic thought here in America. The demand for pre a free press that was unbiased and uncontrolled in giving out information the way that George Whitfield had given it out from behind the pulpit from the scriptures. So we see the parallels here of God being at work in America and God being at work in other nations. And we see these scriptures 
that we read this morning and God's work in the nation of Israel. They had been delivered from Egypt. They had been, a, they were a nation that was to give his word to the world. But here's a tragic scene that happens. Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai to meet with God. Moses, the prophet who met with God in a way that no other prophet would meet after him, face to face with the Lord God. And he would meet with him to get the Ten Commandments. And while he was there, the nation began to become impatient. They began to complain. And they asked Aaron, Moses' brother, their chief priest, they asked him to make them an idol so that they could worship because they were tired of waiting on Moses. And so we see the parallels of Israel's needs and we see the parallels as they work in our world today. Let's look at those together. First of all, they had a need to remember where they had their past. In verse number 1, they, they saw that Moses had delayed and, and they began to become impatient and they forget about the past and how hard it had been on them in earlier times. As we look back at Exodus chapter 3, we look at verses 7 and 8 um, and we see the difficult days of Egypt. We see there it says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and maybe the Termites. Just seeing if you're listening. But they had been slaves to cruel taskmasters. And there's the, to the point that they, they, had, they made the brick there for the Egyptians. They, and and they, their, their taskmasters were cruel. We see the story earlier of Moses and why he had to flee from Egypt because he murdered an Egyptian who was being cruel to one of the Hebrews there. They came to the point when Moses was born, he was hid uh, there in a bulrush. He was hid from, from the Egyptians because they were drowning the males who were born at birth. And God, they, these, this nation of Israel had cried out to God for deliverance. In Exodus chapter, the end of chapter 2 and uh, Exodus, we see where God hears their, their groaning. And God remembered the covenant that he'd made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. They cried out for him. They had become humbled because of their circumstances. We look at America and our humble beginnings. We see the courage that was needed to declare independence. We see the military odds against gaining independence. Think about this. Those, those men and women there, there were 3 million people in the colonies of the United States at this time. There were 1 million people in just the city of London, England. That's how outnumbered these colonists were. 25,000 died during the war. 8,000 would die later after the war. 17,000 people died because of disease during the war. And 25,000 were wounded or maimed during the war. And only 45% of the people in the colonies totally supported the war that they were going into. This week, we should remember 
the great sacrifices that these men and women made as they uh, were, uh, as we remember our past, we should remember these people and the great sacrifices and the great prayers that were prayed and how an independent and free nation was born. So there's a need to remember our past. Just as the, uh, the Israelites had forgotten the great sacrifices of those before them, the, our nation, we do not need to forget what others have done before us for us to have the freedoms that we have here today. And then there was a need for them to remember God's provision. Look at verse number 4. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, God had provided so greatly for these people, and now they've turned their back on him. He had provided a deliverer. After hearing their cry, he began to provide a deliverer for them. We see there back in chapter 3 in verses 2 through 4, God finds Moses. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. God had provided a deliverer for them. And in verse number 8, we remember how God said, I am coming down to deliver this nation because I have heard their cry. We see after that the ten plagues that were brought against Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt. We remember all the, the many things that culminated there with that tenth plague, which was the, the death of the firstborn male of every inhabitant there in the nation of Egypt. We see the Passover, how God spared the nation of Israel when they put, placed the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and the death angel passed over them. We see the great opening of the Red Sea and how God delivered this nation who was stuck between the sea and Pharaoh's army and how God opened the Red Sea and allowed them to cross over and then how he led them in the daytime by a cloud and at night by a great fire. We see all these things, how he fed them from heaven with manna and how he took water from a rock and satisfied their thirst and yet with all of these things that we see and we read and we know, yet this nation still turns its back on God and worships a golden calf. All of this now, and they worship a golden calf, an image. You see, this golden calf was familiar to them. It was a symbol from Egypt. It was a symbol that they had witnessed many times while they were in captivity in Egypt because of the prosperity of Egypt and because of the great fatted calves and, and, and all the cattle that were there in the land, they, they associated this calf with, their, with prosperity and with satisfying them. And so they, they fashioned this in the image of the very place where they had been in bondage. Now, isn't that a lot like a lot of Christians that we know? We need to beware of the golden calves of our lives. You see, after we become a Christian, after we give our lives to, to Jesus through repentance and through faith in Him, there's always going to be the devil to remind us of those golden calves from our past, those things from our past to tempt us, those things from our past 
to show us and to, and to remind us of who we used to be and how he used to keep us in bondage and in slavery. He's going to remind us of those things, and he's going to want to take us back to Egypt, back to worship those things that we loved so much before. But praise God, Jesus says that there's no temptation known unto man that, that he has not been through, and he is our deliverer. And he says furthermore than that, that he is our advocate with the Father. And that when we go to him, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that we're not going to a high priest who doesn't understand what we're going through, but we're going to one who's been tempted in every way and yet overcame everything. Jesus said, uh, John wrote later, he said, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So don't never let the devil take you back. Don't ever let him take you back to worship those golden calves from before. God's great provision for us. He provided, we see we'll celebrate this week, the great victory in the Revolutionary War. We know that he, after this, he preserved the Union during the great Civil War. And, and throughout our history, there's been a history of prosperity and abundant blessing. And in that second century there of our existence, there was another great awakening that continued under the preaching of men like Charles Finney and Dwight Moody. And the Baptist and Methodist denominations began to uh, explode. And there were great frontier revivals all the way across the Americas. And we need to remember that God provided during these times, just as he had provided for the nation of Israel, and they turned their back on him, we never need to forget the great provisions that he's made for us. And then there's the need to remember God's purpose. Look in verses 7 and 8 with me again here. The Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And they have made this their God, these people that you brought up out of the land of Egypt. These people were to be God's people. In Exodus chapter 6 and verse 7, God would say these words. He said, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. He brought them out there from the burdens of the uh, Egyptians to be a witness to the world around them. All those nations, that are, all those ites that are read out before, they were going to be placed in the middle of all these people. And in the middle of all these people, they were to be the witnesses to all the things, all the mighty hand that God had provided for them. They were to be witnesses and to tell these other nations about the power of the God that they served. I was reading this this morning in, in the book of Joshua. I was reading chapters 1 and 2. And, and God's proclamation to Joshua, and he told him, be strong and very courageous. And then in chapter 2, when the spies went on over into Jericho and they found Rahab, what did she say? She told them, we knew you were coming, and the men here, their hearts melt, and they are in fear because they know that your God is the Lord God, and he's going to do everything that he said he's going to do. I want to remind you this morning that he's still the Lord God. He's still God Almighty that he is still on the throne of heaven today and that he's still going to do everything that he said. 
every, every word that he's told the nation of Israel as, he, as they went over and they crossed the Jordan River and they conquered these nations and, and the provisions that these people already had and the things that they had were there for their taking. And as they go and they become the nation uh, where his word would come to the word, his word, Jesus Christ, would come and spring from the, the lineage of the very one Rahab there who told these spies uh, that these men's heart melted before them. God's word is still just as valid today as it was then. And everything that he said would happen has happened. And everything that he has said will happen is going to happen. And you can take it to the bank. There's a, there's a great purpose there for this, these people. They were to receive the land that God had promised to Abraham. They were to go and they were to go in with, with no fear and with great courage and take this land that had been promised to them. I believe that God had a purpose when he established the nation that we live in today. I believe that he had a purpose for America when he established it. It was a place where people could worship him freely. It was a place of religious liberty. It's a nation that was designed to send missionaries around the world. Countless thousands of missionaries have left from the United States and gone all over the world to take the gospel. Some of you have been a part of some of those things. And it was a nation that would be a friend to his people, the nation of Israel. I believe that what we are, are missing today is that is another great awakening in our nation. I believe that what we're missing today is that when we come to church and when we come to worship, that we come with an expectation that we could be at the very beginning of another great awakening in this nation. That we should be praying and we should be fasting and we should be on our faces before God looking at this nation that seems so divided and in such peril and in such, in such disarray that we should be looking and seeking the face of God and saying, Lord, if there is another great awakening, if there's going to be another great revival that sweeps this nation, then let it begin in my heart. Let it begin on the pews of First Baptist Church. Let us lay down pride and self-will and let us die every day daily to ourselves and let us pick up our cross every day and go ahead and live the way that you have designed for us to live and maybe, Lord, just maybe, someone 100 years from now could write and say that there was a great revival that began, a great awakening that began in America, and that we were there in the beginning of it. Some of you just need to wake up to the fact that you need Jesus. Amen? Amen, brother. There is a need for another great awakening in our nation. We need to continue to seek God's face. And when we remember these things that we talk about this morning, we need to, it brings us back to the basics of our lives. We recall God at work in our lives. We recall those times in our lives when, when we were fruitful for the Lord. We recall those times in our lives when we told others about Jesus. We recall those times in our lives when we were we couldn't wait to get to church and we couldn't wait to, to praise the Lord. And we recall those times in our lives. And we recall the commitments that we made to Him maybe before something happened and it threw us off course or it took us off track spiritually. 
and we recall those times in our lives and we recall those commitments we made to him and we renew ourselves afresh and we say, Lord, use me. Use me in the way that you have before. Because you see, when Moses came down from this mountain, God would be merciful to this people. God wanted to destroy this people immediately. And Moses interceded for them on their behalf. And, and he spared them. And they went on to fulfill all the things that God had for them. Maybe that's where we are this morning. And we see the basics of our freedom. We know that freedom begins and flows from God's word. John chapter 8 verses 32 says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is this morning that this is a great nation, and it is a prosperous nation, and it is abundant, an, an abundant nation, but it is so because God allowed it to be. And it is so because God has had his hand upon us. And it is so this morning because at this morning, this very truth that will set you free can only be found, as Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to me, can come to the Father except through me. And we know in this same chapter that freedom flows from our Savior. In verse number 36, Jesus said these words, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There may be a day in time in our future where we don't have the freedom to meet here the way that we do. There may be a day in time where we have to go and sneak from, uh, from house to house to meet to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be a time where, as the men that I've spoken to this morning who told me that all of the men in their congregation have lost their jobs and have no income and they're dependent upon the mercies and grace of others who send and provide for them. There may be a time in our nation where these things happen and our freedoms aren't like they are today, but there'll never be a time once you give your heart and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ, there'll never be a time where he separates himself from you. Amen? There'll never be a time where you won't know the freedom of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. There'll never be a time where you won't be in, in, in his hand. He said that nothing could separate you from the love of God. Never. And this morning we should celebrate that. We should be thankful for that. We should be grateful for that. And we should proclaim that to everyone that we know and that we see. God's grace and God's mercy and God's provision through salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth will set you free. This morning the truth of the matter is this, is that we do live in a great nation, but it is a, great, it is a nation that has become a very sinful nation. It's a nation that has turned away from the basic tenets of the faith that we have heralded so long in our nation. It is a nation that is, hostile, is becoming more and more hostile and bitter toward the message that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We have become a nation that embraces universalism, a nation that says any way that is acceptable to you is acceptable to me, and any lifestyle you want to choose is acceptable. You go and do your own thing. 
But there will come a day of reckoning with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that today you have the opportunity to have freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ through this life and throughout eternity. I want you to know that today you have that opportunity to know that someday you will meet Jesus in eternity and you may hear the words, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Enter into these many. There's plenty. And then you'll know the what is really a truly abundant life. Darren's coming this morning to lead us in a time of invitation. And maybe you want to come and pray this morning. Maybe you want to come and give thanks to the Lord for, for the freedoms that you have and the mercies and the grace that he's provided for you. Maybe where you are this morning or you want to come here, maybe you want to come and say, I need to begin this relationship with Jesus that you're talking about. I need to know Jesus Christ through the freedom and pardon of sin. I need to know that I can lay down that bondage that I was in and I can be free in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's your situation today. Maybe you can leave here today and proclaim, I'm free in Jesus. I know that my eternity is secure. Maybe this morning you have made that and, and that decision. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus. You've never followed him in baptism. Or you need to join this church. Whatever it is you need to do, this morning is the great time and opportunity for you to do so. Would you stand with me, Father, as we stand across this sanctuary? I pray and ask your blessings. And I pray and ask, dear God, for your hand of favor to continue on us. Lord, where we need to repent and where we need to say we failed you, Lord, may we be bold enough to do so. And Father, this morning, there may be some in our midst this morning who need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, let them lay down any pride or anything that they're holding on to, God, and accept the free gift of salvation and know what it is as we celebrate freedom this week to know that there's a freedom that can never be taken away in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, whatever it is we need to do this morning, may we do it without hesitation. In Jesus' name, amen.